Last week was cool. We, uh, we talked about how could a good God allow so much suffering, a question I think all of us have probably had at one time or another in our lives. We looked at the fact that the God of the Bible is the God who suffers with us. Mm-hmm. All right? He didn't just say, you go do your thing and, uh, you know, you can make it through. No, he actually went through it and actually even in a greater measure than we did, I believe. He understands what we're going through. And today, we're going to talk about something pretty cool. You know, a lot of people have this question, and and you hear this a lot out there, maybe not in this verbiage, but in some form or another, and that is, Christianity is a straitjacket. Has anybody ever heard anybody say that? Or something along those lines? Yeah. Christianity is a a straitjacket. It confines me. It holds me in. I feel like... I'm all bundled up. I remember uh, several years ago when I was maybe in 8th or ninth grade, <clears throat> um, I like to go out camping, and, and I, I got this sleeping bag, and it's called a mummy bag. Um, I don't know if you guys know what a mummy bag is, right? But they're really warm. Yeah, you, yeah they're really warm, right? And they're kind of formed to your body almost, and, and then you can grab the drawstrings and suck them up right over your face, right? So just, just, just your mouth is there so you can breathe. So the cold doesn't get in. And uh, um, I loved the sleeping bag that I had. And, and so I would come home from school, and I liked to watch uh, the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. Uh, anybody like that show? Come on. Yeah. Um, going a little retro on you there. Um, and, and I liked to watch the show, and I liked my sleeping bag. So what I would do is I would get on the couch and get in my sleeping bag and watch the show, which was cool, right? I, I had a double cool thing going on there. Until one day, one of my knucklehead brothers snuck in and jumped on top of me while I'm in this bag. And he is laying on top of me, you know, and I'm all confined in this bag, you know. Like, like I said, this thing's formed to your body almost. And I'm confined in this bag. And every part of my being feels like this is it, this is the end, I'm getting ready to die. You know, have you ever had that? Anybody claustrophobic or, or have, have dealt with that before? You know, I, I couldn't move. I, I couldn't move my arms. I couldn't even hardly move my fingers. And, you know, in that sleeping bag, it'd creep up a little bit, and I felt like I couldn't breathe. And, of course, my brother's up there just laughing, thinks it's the funniest thing he's ever done in his life. Meanwhile, I'm in that bag. I'm screaming. And in my mind, I'm literally fighting for my life. I'm feeling so claustrophobic, so tied up. So closed in. And, you know, maybe I wasn't all that bright, but I thought maybe this was the last time this would happen. But no, he enjoyed it so much <laughs> that this continued on. Now, remember, I'm the, I'm the littlest one. So uh, he just thought this was the funniest thing ever. And then some of my other brothers joined in because they thought it was funny too. So what I did was I decided to unzip that bag in the side. Right? So I unzipped it, and it, And it gave me an escape when this happened. Now, they figured that out eventually and and dealt with that too, but um, because they're (laughs) caring and loving. (laughs) But isn't this the argument that a lot of people have today about Christianity? They feel like it's, it's, it's claustrophobic to them. It's holding them in. It's binding them down. They feel like they're being constrained by God and all of his laws and all of these rules and things that they they feel that Christianity is all about. 
They think it's too rigid and too unreasonable for them. We asked our team, and, and you guys have seen these over the past, uh, past two weeks, and, and the first week, remember, we had no audio, right? And um, then the last week, we had audio in the, your left-hand side. And then this week, we've got it in both, but, you know, we, we, we had to go mono to make this happen, if any of you are sound people. And so we at Connect Church, one of our values is improvement. And so we are improving every week. <laughs> And, and, really, and really, honestly, we're just doing this to show you guys that we value improvement. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So hopefully next week we won't be mono. We can actually go stereo. Wouldn't that be cool? So anyway. <laughs> wow. So anyway, uh, Christine and uh, her crew went out on the street again. And the question that they asked is, is Christianity... Is it unreasonably rigid? And so we want you guys to see some answers that, were, that came from that. So could you, uh, could you show the video? Thank you. Now, some of those answers were obviously um, some Christian folks, but uh, the last two I thought were really cool, right? Um, the, the first guy, you know, he brought up the West, Westboro Baptist Church, and, and, and he said they're crazy, and, and I would probably have to agree with him, but um, <laughs> I, I thought that was... That was, that was interesting, that people will take something that's extreme and just apply that across the board. Isn't that interesting? And then this last gal, I thought she was, she was, she was very interesting. And, and you know, some people, uh, some people, they say this about Christianity. They say, Christians, I know, don't seem to have the freedom to think for themselves. I believe each individual must determine truth for him or herself. And isn't that what she said? She said, you know what? You can believe what you want, but I need to find my own truth. And people should have the freedom to find their own truth. And, and yeah, there's half-truth in that statement, right? But ultimately, the truth is the truth. And facts are facts. And it doesn't matter what you believe. The truth is the truth, right? Because you believe something else doesn't mean that it's right. The second thing is Christianity is the lever of the human race, the breaker of man's will to dare and to do. An iron net, a straitjacket, which does not let him expand or grow. And in that, they're dealing with the idea of freedom. And she addressed that as well. She said, look, if you want to have true freedom in your life, you, or if you want me to have true freedom in my life, you need to let me find out truth for myself, and whatever truth I come up with, that is ultimately the truth. I find it very interesting. We need to get the truth out there that there is freedom in Jesus, and that Jesus isn't confining and constraining, but through that, Jesus wants to bless us and help us out. Even in the United States, Supreme Court has weighed in on this issue. I said that wrong, but you get what I'm saying. The Supreme Court waiting on this issue. And this is what they said. The heart of liberty is to define one's own concept of existence, the meaning of the universe. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, uh, Teg, you're going to... Teg, you're not Teg. Thank you, Michael. You're tall like Teg. Um, You'll need to back up just a little bit. We'll pick up that stuff that we missed. If you're taking notes this morning, here's...
Here's the objections that people have against Christianity, all right? The first one is this. Christianity tells people what they must believe. Christianity tells people what they must believe. Uh, A lot of people are struggling with this issue of truth. In fact, one of the things that's out there is that absolute truth doesn't exist. Another objection is that Christianity tells people how they must act. And Pastor Bruce mentioned that one of the issues we're going to talk about today is the issue of freedom. People don't want to be told how to act. And then one of the other big objections people have to Christianity under this title of Christianity as a straitjacket is that Christianity isn't inclusive. Uh, In fact, many people believe that Christians really don't love other people. So today we're going to talk about truth, we're going to talk about freedom, and we're going to talk about love. So let's start with truth. Let's start with truth. Uh, many postmodern philosophers today say that anyone who claims to know absolute truth is trying to exert power over other people. This is one of the big objections that postmodern thinkers have against Christians. They believe that anybody who says this is what truth is are trying to exert power over other people. One of the phrases maybe you've heard is that all truth claims are power plays. However, I I think there's a fallacy in this argument. If you really think with me today, uh, I I want you to to, to just, just logically reason this out with me. When you say there is no absolute truth, you are making an absolute truth statement. Do you see what I'm saying? To say truth doesn't exist is saying this is the truth as I see it. Truth doesn't exist. And so this statement, there is no absolute truth, actually contradicts itself. And it leads me to believe that truth is unavoidable. It absolutely is. Truth is unavoidable. And as much as people, doubters and skeptics, would like to believe that we can define truth for ourselves, at some point, every one of us has to grapple with whether or not certain things are true or not. We all grapple with whether or not uh, certain facts are facts or if they're fallacies, and really, truth is unavoidable. So the question is this, if truth is unavoidable, do I define truth for myself as the U.S. Supreme Court suggests that we do, or do I discover truth? There's a big difference between defining my own truth and discovering what truth really is. How do you discover truth if that's the route you're going to take? Well, it means you have to make some honest investigations into what truth is. Here's what Jesus said on the topic of truth. In John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, there's lots of people that would like us to believe that Jesus was just a wise teacher, or he was a prophet, or he was a good moral philosopher. The problem with that argument is that if Jesus really said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, you have two options. He was either telling the truth, 
or he was a maniac. You can't have the middle ground where he was just a good moral teacher. If Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's either right or he's wrong. And truth is unavoidable. Here's something else Jesus said in John chapter 8. John, the gospel writer, tells us that Jesus said to the people who believed in him, and notice all the forms of truth that are in this paragraph. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Have you ever heard that statement? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Many people are very surprised when they learn that Jesus said that. It's just become such a common phrase in our culture. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus said that if you know him, that you know his teachings, and you're following his teachings, that truth will set you free. He went on to say this, or actually, I'm sorry, uh, his followers said this. We're descendants of Abraham, they said. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? They didn't get this because they were independent people, kind of like we are. And Jesus said this, I tell you the truth. Again, he's addressing truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So, if the son, he's talking about himself, Jesus, if the son sets you free, you are truly free. I think it's fascinating that Jesus here connected truth, absolute truth, with freedom. Isn't that fascinating? Because the doubters and the skeptics would like us to believe that the only truth is the truth you define for yourself and that that Christianity actually takes away your freedom. But Jesus said just the opposite. So let's take a moment to talk about freedom. Freedom. Let me just ask all of you, how would you define freedom? What does that word mean to you? Somebody shout a a definition out to me. Sorry? Favor. Favor, okay. Another definition of what freedom is? Choice. Choice, okay, good. Something else. Colt says doing whatever you want. Okay, great. No, that's a very good definition. Uh, Maybe I should say this, uh, because we're probably a a largely Christian crowd. Most of us in this room are probably following Jesus. Probably not all, but, but most of us are. So let me ask you this. How would your friends who don't follow Jesus define what freedom is? Colt said doing whatever you want. Any other definitions? Tina, did you have a definition? Okay. No restrictions. No restrictions. No curfew. All right. Here's a definition that I'll throw out to you today. Freedom is defined by many as having no constraints. Would you say that's probably how most people think of freedom? Freedom is having no constraints. And there's a lot of people that really don't want to be constrained in any way, shape, or form 
and, and, and it's, it's a big part of our culture. In fact, last summer, there was a song by Miley Cyrus that came, shot to the top of the charts. Young people were singing it and dancing to it. Uh, it was called Can't Stop. Many of you have probably heard that song. Here's some of the lyrics. It's our party. We can do what we want to. It's our house, we can love who we want to. It's our song, we can sing if we want to. It's my mouth, I can say what I want to. Say, yeah, 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 eh. (laughs) And she goes on, and we can't stop, and we won't stop. Can't you see it's we who own the night? Can't you see it's we who bout that life? I don't even know what that means. And we can't stop, and we won't stop. We run things we run things, things don't run we. Don't take nothing from nobody. Yeah, 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 eh. All right? It was a huge hit last summer. Why? Because there's so many people that don't want to have any constraints in their life. Okay? And, 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 and it just resonated with people who don't want rules. They don't want any kind of parameters. They don't want a curfew. Uh, They just want freedom, all right? But I want you to think with me about freedom for a little bit. Uh, Most of you know that uh, I'm a piano player, and and every once in a while around here, I lead worship, and and, and I'll play the keys. And I'm always amazed. Every once in a while, people come up to me, and they say, did you ever take piano lessons? (laughs) And and I laugh. I I laugh like you, Gary, because I sat on a piano bench until my my butt just spread out from, you know, I mean, just got wider. I mean, I spent hours and hours and hours on a piano bench. My mom said, uh, as as a young adult, when she was raising kids, when we were little, she said, you know what? My mom gave me the opportunity to have piano lessons, and I didn't want to practice, so I quit. My kids will never quit. So from the age of eight... Through the age of 22, I took piano lessons every week, and uh, once I got into high school, I practiced two hours a day, every day, even in the summer. I, I didn't play sports. I didn't, there were a lot of things I didn't do that all my friends were out doing, you know, whatever it was. I was sitting on a piano bench. My mom would send me to summer camp, Bible camp, and she would send me with my piano books and, and a note to my youth pastor saying, Russell will practice two hours a day at Bible camp. So while everybody else was out doing the water slides, I was in there playing Beethoven. It was horrible. But you know what? Today, as an adult, I can sit down and I can read just about any music you put in front of me. I, I can play by ear. You, you sing me a song, I can play the melody. I can play scales, I can play arpeggios. I have the freedom to just go crazy on the keyboard. Scotty Morales is the same way. Scotty spends hours and hours and hours every week practicing for what you're going to hear on a Sunday morning. It doesn't just happen. It comes as a matter of constraining ourselves to the discipline of practicing. And that constraint leads us to the freedom to make beautiful music. Now, this happens, this can happen in many, many different areas of life. And and of course, you need some sort of an aptitude. I was musically gifted, obviously, but I became a a really good musician because of that constraint that my mother put on me. Little Russell will practice the piano, right? And it was a constraint. It was a removing of freedom so that now, as an adult, I have the freedom to play beautiful music at, at will. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
It doesn't always work. Like, you know, uh, a four foot 11 man probably is never going to become an NFL lineman, even as much as he might practice. But when we find the right constraints that help us to excel, it leads to great freedom to be the best version of you you can be. Let me illustrate it another way. Anybody notice that we have a goldfish bowl up here on the, on the stage? We've got six little goldfish in here, and, and uh, Kamiko and Karen actually named all six of the goldfish this morning. And uh, looks like they're pooping a little this morning. That's lovely. But we could look at these goldfish, these six little goldfish swimming around here, and, and we might say, you know what? That water is really confining to the goldfish. Maybe they would like to be birds. Maybe they don't want to be stuck in the water, and, and, and maybe they'd like to be like a bird, and, and we, could just, uh, we could just set them free, right? And... Um, <laughs> And why should I put him back? Why would I'm just going to set him free? <laughs> I wasn't expecting quite such an emotional reaction, but what what what's the principle here? If we just give ourselves no restraint, no constrictions, no disciplines, no confinement, it can really lead to, to complete destruction in our lives, right? This fish taking, taken out of the constraint of his water will die really, really fast. I might like for it to fly away like a bird, but it needs the constraint of the water. Are you with me? You hear what I'm saying? you're taking notes, here's what you can write down. True freedom is finding the constraints that liberate us to become what we were created to be. True freedom is finding the constraints that liberate us to become what we were created to be. Listen to what Galatians chapter 5 says. It says, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. How many of you are glad for freedom? The Bible says we've been called to live in freedom. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to what? Serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this command, love your neighbor as yourself. So let me wrap this up by talking about love. Listen, friends, love is the ultimate freedom. Love is the ultimate freedom. But love is way more constraining than you might think. Love requires some really important things. If you're in a significant relationship in your life, love requires that you give up your independence. Any of you that are married, you know this is true. Any of you that are parents of children, you know this is true. You lose your independence because you love these little ones. Love requires limiting your personal options. And a healthy love relationship requires a mutual loss of independence. 
Listen, over the years, Chris and I have counseled hundreds and hundreds of couples. And one of the things that kills a couple faster than anything else is one person says, I want the freedom to go out and do whatever I want. You, you can exercise that freedom, but you will lose your love. Losing this kind of independence is hard for a lot of us. And some of you are listening to me and, and you're saying, there's no way I will give up my independence. There's, there's no way. If that's what love requires, I'm out. But I want to tell you, you become your best self, I think, when you learn to love somebody else. So let's talk about loving God and how that impacts our freedom. If you think about loving God and having a relationship with God, it would be easy for us to think that it's just a one-way relationship. Because God has all the power. After all, he's God, right? He has all the power. And it would appear to most people that all of the adjusting, all of the submitting, all of the constraining needs to be done by me. I have to live by God's rules or he's just going to squash me under his thumb, right? And so that limiting of freedom, that limiting of, 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 of my options is a one-way thing when it comes to a relationship with God. Because God isn't going to adjust to me. He's not going to constrain himself for me. But listen, that's not really true. That might be true for other forms of religion, but it isn't true of Christianity. Because in the most radical way, God has adjusted to us. Jesus Christ, God, became a limited human being. He became vulnerable to suffering became vulnerable to death. And on the cross, Jesus submitted himself to our condition as sinners, and he died in our place to forgive us. In other words, God constrained himself to become a human. That's that's remarkable. And in fact, I believe that God has said to you and I, through Jesus Christ, God has said, I will adjust to you. I will change for you. I'll serve you even though it means a sacrifice for me. And here's what I believe, and this is really our bottom line today. Because God has adjusted to us, because God has constrained himself for us, we can and we should say, I will adjust to God and to other people. Listen, when I, when I first married Chris, I made up my mind that I was going to do everything in my power to make sure that she was as happy as she could be all the time. I made up my mind that I would discover the ways to serve her and love her and, and help her blossom as a woman. And I decided that she, she and her happiness were way more important than, than mine. And listen, over the years, I've made lots of mistakes, and there's lots of times when I've made her miserable instead of making her happy. Uh, about a week ago, we, we had an argument that was entirely my fault, and uh, I came home from work one afternoon, and, and uh, she, had, uh, she had been using the sugar bowl, and the lid broke, 
And uh, so I got on eBay and I was going to order a new lid for our sugar bowl because that was really important at the moment. And, uh, and I'm on eBay and I'm checking out. I found the sugar bowl and I was checking out and I couldn't remember my PayPal password. Okay? Anybody else have problems with passwords? You know, I mean, what a mess. I couldn't remember. I was getting madder and madder and madder at my computer. And, and, and Chris says, sweetheart, could you come and help me a minute? And I said, I'm trying to buy a sugar bowl lid. And... And I just hurt her feelings, you know. And hours later, we're still talking about, about how unkind I was, right? And when all of that was over, I spent a little time with the Lord, and I just said, God, will you help me once again just serve my wife? Instead of being so impatient and unkind, will you help me just to limit my own agenda Will you help me to be sensitive to her needs instead of so focused on a dang sugar bowl lid? I mean, really, is it worth it? No. I can give up my freedoms to make my wife happy. And in the same way, we can give up our freedoms to serve the Lord who has so beautifully served us. So what are the next steps? The first one's this. Study Jesus and discover the truth. Spend time reading God's word. And, and we really recommend reading the Gospel of John first. Find out about God's love and God's freedom when you just surrender yourself and, and give yourself over to him. Number two, love Jesus and find the freedom to be who you're created to be. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says this. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Now the King James says constrains us, but obviously in a good way. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Today we're going to be baptizing some people, and, and that's an awesome, awesome thing and something to be celebrated. It's really cool. People get into the water, and, and they say, God, I surrender to you. They go back in the water, and they come out. Their old self dies, and freedom starts to take place in their life. No more condemnation, just freedom and love. What constraints do you need to place yourself under in order to love Jesus better? That's the question. On your cards, hopefully most of you got a card, and, and on the back of the card there's some space here at the bottom. And here in just a moment, would, would you take a, a moment to, to write some notes in there? How do I need to adjust? What constraints do I need to adopt? And what does... Obedience to Christ looked like.